Yeah, yeah, this is DRS, Broken English Gang, Manchester for life. Yo, this is TRAC. Hey, this is Colette Warren. Hi, this is Cleveland Watkins. This is Diligent Fingers. So, hey, this is Deg. Yo, this is Connie Khan from Children of Zeus. This is MC Copper. Yo, this is Inja, representing Valiant MC. And I'm chilling out with Valiant right now. You know, in tune to Valiant MC. You're listening to Valiant MC. With Valiant MC. And you're listening to Valiant MC. The man like Valiant MC. Get on the vocal. 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 And you're locked into the vocal. So make sure you get your dial tune in a few, 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 tune in a few. Hold tight, we raise roots off for me warship when we're on site. Just on three shows in three cities on one night. I still roll deep without no sleep, no, I've gone white. I was gonna take off, but I jumped out, got the wrong flight. Let me speak out, let me preach now, I'm not tongue tied. With my music, I never once like got a strong mind. In it for the long haul, or it's on call, it's a long ride. It's light work when the track starts and the songs die. Yeah, taking no prisoners, mate. Going harder than Barlesa to my figures are straight. My fingers in many pies, and now I'm filling my plate. It started from going live, and now I'm killing my dates. I'm never reading the news, it's always full of the hate. But when I look across the crowd, I see him screwing their face. I'm known as Diligent Fingers, best remember the name. Cause when it comes to me and Harry Bow, we fuck up the place. Like, 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 like
Check one, two. Yes, indeed, it's time for another episode of The Vocal. I am your host, Valiant MC. The track you just heard was from our main interviewee for this episode, Manchester's own Diligent Fingers, as well as Haribo, produced by Stomps, and it's called Lightwork. And right now what you hear is a track called Aquarius by Toronto's own Polaris and Stranger. Uh, I believe it's 2016 from Technique Recordings. I'm going to try to keep the talking to a minimum because the talking in this episode happens to exceed three quarters of the episode. We've got about an hour with Diligent Fingers and we've got a half hour with our other guest, DRS, who's here to talk about his new album with LSB, The Blue Hour. Now, when we get to the interview with Diligent Fingers, you're going to notice there's some distortion and it is a long story, but basically I had to use two different laptops to save that file. I don't know what happened exactly. It wouldn't let me export it into a wave or an MP3. And so, uh, I don't know. Anyway, the fact that I got it sorted out is kind of a minor miracle. As a result, we're going to have less time for music in this episode, but that's okay because January's episode is not going to have a guest. It is simply going to be a recap of 2019, going through my favorite parts of all the interviews I did and some of my favorite tracks from the year. So we're going to get to the music, but first, we've got an interview with DRS, and this is his third stop into the vocal. Uh, last time he was here, he checked in for his From the Deep album, produced with Pitch 92. Uh, this one, definitely a special release, and it's getting a lot of praise. He won the Best Vocalist Award at the Drum and Bass Arena Awards, and when he accepted the award, he stepped down from receiving any more awards, like for, for good, which uh, in my opinion is a pretty, uh, pretty nice power move. Uh, but he also said something that was really important, and Inja also backed this up in some of his own social media postings. I have been talking about it on my Instagram for the last year and a half. Cleveland Watkins has been talking about it. It's all about not putting MCs and vocalists in the small print in the flyer on the bottom. You need to bill vocalists and MCs as the artists that they are. Put them on equal footing with the DJs. It is a vitally important thing. In fact, many times the MCs outdraw some of the DJs. You look at people like DRS and Ninja and Skibidi and Harry Shada, and I could go on and on. These people have fan bases of their own, okay? And they sell a lot of tickets. They sell a lot of releases. So 
brought a lot of attention to this, which I was really happy about. And uh, this talk that we had about the album, uh, The Blue Hour with LSB, is definitely a special one. So after that, we're going to get into some music. And at the end of the episode, we will have the interview with Diligent Fingers. My condolences to the UK for re-electing Boris Johnson. It might spoil people's Christmas, but you gotta try to hold it together and count your blessings. And after the new year, get ready to fight back. Cool London. This is the vocal. So you've had a pretty good year, eh? Yeah, man. Busy, busy. Work-wise, all good. Relationship-wise, a rocky road, as the album explains. (laughs) (laughs) I was gathering that, man. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Yeah, man real life occurrences man you know i only tell the truth around there so you can piece it's not too hard to piece together the stories man <laughs> is there a uh an ending to that story or is it continuing nah nah it's done we like we parted we parted like january this year and it's kind of been a rocky road for a couple of years so it's while the whole process of writing with luke it's all been put into this project over like like i say the first tune we made was like about four years ago, but intensely over the last two years when we, we were like, well, we'll make an EP or we'll make something. And then this year when we was over in Dallas, we ended up having a few days off and intensely did loads. So yeah, it was, um, like I say, it's been an ongoing story, but like, it feels like I, I got the vinyl today, like from the distributors and held it in my hand. And it's the same with from the deep. It's just like, you know, it's off my body. I can hold. I can hold it. I can put it down for a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like as before, just carrying it. Do you know what I mean? That just reminds me of. I remember reading years ago, uh, Maynard from Tool. Uh, I believe it was him. He was saying something about this is before they kind of you know got back into touring and stuff. And he was kind of saying that you know the music that he would make was in itself the therapy. And now that he was able to exercise those demons, it's like he almost like felt slightly detached from it because it wasn't, it didn't hold the same yeah, exactly. weight anymore. That's, it. That's exactly it. Yeah. I could choose to pick up that emotion and put it down for a bit. No, I totally agree with that. It's like, yeah, once it, once it's gone and then it comes back as, as a product, it's like, it's now that product of that emotion and not on you kind of vibe. But that's the way I look at it. It's probably, probably sounds insane, but it no, really it's, feels like, it's it like really a, feels that way. It's like a physical manifestation of being able to compartmentalize your emotions. So that that, that makes yeah, total yeah. sense. You know what I mean? I think if we could do that more often, we would. So Yeah, definitely. That's why I do it so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can't blame you, man. <laughs> most of us don't I think most of us don't have the the time or the wherewithal to figure out how to do it. You know what I mean? So wait, you said uh side note here. Uh you said that you had a couple of days off in Dallas. Yeah, we've stayed we had like four days off in Dallas. I'd say about uh, maybe seven or eight of the tunes on the album was probably made in them four days in Dallas. So where did you, out of curiosity, where did you record? Just in the kitchen of of, uh, Airbnb. I had my mic, just my handheld, um, and and Luke's laptop, and we had the mic balancing on the top of some kitchen roll with, like, sellotape over the top and just real, like, ghetto but we um, we got all the demos down. A few of them we managed to salvage and use, and uh, and um, a few of them had to re-record when we got back. And then yeah, then that's when we realised we've got an album this year. Like after the after the tour, what I seen you one, 
um, yeah, we realised we've got a body of work here, and that's when we was then we start our mind started working about yeah we should get like violins and we should get a cello and you know flutes and that bit and be sick with this and that's when it began to grow into the like what you what you hear the finished product like you know i think i i I texted you and i said that the the album felt real intimate like it musically even the whole mood of the album except for a couple of tracks feels close like everything feels I don't know. Like, you know, you describe recording it in the kitchen or whatever. It kind of sounds, not in a bad way, by the way, but it kind of sounds that immediate. Yeah, yeah. And and even how it's mixed deliberately, like there's hardly any effect on the vocals or it's just so, and the vocals are so up front in the mix. You know, I love when you put headphones on and you can hear like, you hear stuff you don't hear, you like breath and, and you know, you can almost feel the breath on your ear. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's that's the feel we wanted to get because it's basically me fucking pouring my soul out. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like I can I can hide I can jump and hide behind loads of production or whatever, or I can make the I want the listener to f- to feel it in it to feel I want him to feel uncomfortable when I felt felt uncomfortable and to you know right it's you know in four D kind of no it it did feel uncomfortable and I talked to you uh, I think what right after from the deep came out and I said, yeah. and I said at that time, I was like, this album is very different than anything you've done. And then this album that you put out again, um, I don't want to say it's like a reinvention, but it's definitely a, a departure from what you've done. But I don't even mean lyrically. I just mean, uh, the mood and the feel and the cohesiveness of the whole project. I think a part of that comes with working with one producer. I was talking to, uh, <laughs> I was talking to MC Kappa about this and, you know, the whole idea of working with one producer and how it creates a more cohesive work. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and, and like as well, like Luke, you know, he's one of my closest friends on this planet as well. Music aside or whatever. So it's like you can strip off a few more layers. Do you know what I mean? You feel comfortable because, you know, your friend will catch you if you fall or, or whatever or, you know what I mean? It's, it's not there to judge. He's, you know, so I think it even became ten times more personal because we was already like I don't, I was already talking to him on when we were out touring and you know about how things were going bad and da 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 and then yeah it all sort of uh, you know a, a series of unfortunate and fortunate events led to this you know piece of art time capsule or whatever you know you want to call it. My whole thing is that. It's not there to sell loads or to be judged by numbers. It's just there to be a piece of art. And, and you know, looking at the artwork that Sean, our, 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 my artist, who does all the Space Cadet stuff, who did this cover, she outdone herself. And it's just like, I, I had to tell her today, it's like, this is fucking beautiful. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, when you get it in your hands, it's the heavy vinyl and it's just, you know, just everything about it. Just, it's just art. And that's, when I see that, I'm happy if it, you know, if it sells one copy or, sells a million copies it's it that doesn't matter you know what i mean it's just the creation once it's created and and i've held it in my hand i'm on to creating something else (laughs) now were you intending this from the beginning to be put out in space cadet or was it something that when you kind of were doing a batch that you thought maybe an ep or whatever you were gonna try to put out on some other label no no it was both like because it's 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 kind of a joint venture with space cadet and footnotes Luke's label so it's like it was more 
after the view and missing you and and um catching lightning and the other tunes I've done with Luke after that it was like I was just like we're really like hitting onto something here and then we did the space age one mix and then it really like it was like right we you know so there's actually some magic going on here and it'd be good to make a time capsule of this feeling and this vibe and just leave it there forever in it yeah musically um this is a departure for for Luke as well um yeah I, this is going to sound a little bit grandiose um and maybe like I'm speaking in hyperbole here but when new forms came out it was like at the time it came out the tracks had already been done for I think like a year or two when it came out in 97 you know it was like this really uh stark departure from the a lot of the jungle and drone bass that was out at the time there was all this jazz involved and uh it just sounds different yeah so looking at this you mentioned that you wanted to like start bringing like strings and and other stuff in so tell me about how this body of work evolved to include not only uh strings like not only classical music but jazz as well sometimes in the same track yeah um how, how did that come to be what was behind the decision to make such a starkly different album musically we didn't start out to make something differently musically we just wanted to make an album together of our sound whether it's you know inverted commas or whatever liquid or whatever people want to call it but that that sound of music but then when because of what was going on in my life personally and traveling a lot with luke and all this stuff it just transpired into the songs and then when the songs were there you know we was like okay that's you know luke would be like oh that sample that's a sample from such and such a place so i so i was like okay so all the piano samples I'll get my mate Bricky Mortar from Manchester, um, from Eight Gold Rings. He'll replay that, change him a little bit. But then when you get him in and he and he's playing, then he starts, you know, he'll start doing something that's, you know, it's not in the plan, and it it, it starts getting a bit more musical, and then you know it's exciting, isn't it? So you let that go as far as it can get. Then when Bricky's gone, we sit and we strip back and da da da, and we we get it back to a happy medium of musicality but still you know keeping it uh, uh whether it's a drum and bass core or a hip-hop core or whatever the track is you know what i mean without going too noodly so we by adding the piano and then he's took it somewhere and it's like oh you know what i'd be mad a bit of flute or you know and then it's just been this little hunt to find these little pieces of the picture and then you know there was a stage in the mixing and uh, and where it was it you know, we had to really draw back. It was really too musical. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, because obviously, when when all, when you're adding all this stuff, it starts like, you know, it starts sounding like an orchestra, and you start getting gassed. And like, then uh, you know, I, I was like, right, Luke, we, you know, this is sick, but we gotta remember it's it's for us and our people, and like, there, 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 and we, you know, we just don't want to go too far away from it i just want to keep my you know i'm very conscious of keeping my foot on the ground of this you know beautiful scene i love so you know by doing that and we found i feel like we found the perfect balance and just to yeah you know like you say like new forms or these sort of you know landmark sort of what we call yeah like landmarks in 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 our like this beautiful 
seeing that we're a part of, you know what I mean? And, you know, the arrows are pointing in the way, pointing the, di- the direction, go this way for a bit, or it's time to change, or it's time to think a little different. And I feel like we've done something like that, whether it's for the better or the worse, you know, that's, be- that's the beauty and the high- eye of the beholder. But for, for us, you know, we love it and we're, we're happy. We pushed each other, I feel like, as far we could push each other. And I feel like you can hear it, do you know what I mean? There's got to be a certain uh, freedom in being able to release these things yourself. Like, you know, 15 years ago, finding a label to put something out like this, which is not, you know, it's definitely not the most dance floor friendly release out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, and and me and Luke both lucky enough to have our own imprints and be able to, like, invest in ourselves. You know what I mean? The same as, you know, the same as From the Deep or... You know, people. That was the last thing people were expecting from me, but that's that's what I like. I like artists who shock. You know, painters, and I like that this stuff that shocks you and makes you think, and then you go away, and then you go back, and you think totally different from what you thought last time. You know, and and that's that's what art is. You know, it, um, it's just good to be able to, like you say, you have space cadet and footnotes there and support to yeah just do exactly what we want and and i'm so lucky that over the years and and luke the same we've we've gained like a following of people who trust us enough to take these leaps of faith and hand on my heart like no one's ever complained i think one person made left a comment on a video on youtube about from the deep and it's like oh i prefer when you do drum and bass and it wasn't even a, you know i didn't think oh you bastard but that was the only the only person who's who really said anything about it you know what i mean so yeah and i remember that motherfucker <laughs> well no i just remember what you said to me in that one interview you said i got 186 singles drum and bass singles so you know i, I don't you can go back and listen to those um yeah. when i brought up the idea do you think people would might say something or might you know you might have caught people off guard with coming out with a non drum and bass release um yeah yeah all right, so your ex and you. Now, do you have a kid together? Yeah, we do. Oh, you do? Okay, so that complicates things lovely, huh? Yeah, loads. Oh, but, you know, um, we, it, we've managed, to, you know, to stay friends. And, we, you know, adults and, you know, I still have my daughter a few days a week and da-da-da, and she's there, it's fine. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, luckily enough, it's we've managed to be two adults and just, just be grown up about it and just, you know what I mean? It's like... It, if something's done, there's no problem. There's no point in making it worse, is it? Do you know what I mean? This time capsule, as you That's as you put it, um, is this something that you guys are going to try to expand on? Or are you just kind of dropping it now, and whatever else comes next comes next? Um, I don't. Do you know what? I haven't even thought about it. I haven't even thought about it. I'm just, as you know, and like I've told you before, I just like constantly every day create, and then the, these. Whether it, if it's features for other people, obviously they go off and, you know, go onto labels and do whatever they're doing. But if it's for me, more time I'll just be stacking stuff and like, in it, just throwing it into Dropbox, you know what I mean? And now I've got like fucking, you know, even now there's probably like a hundred unreleased drum and bass tracks in there that like people would lose their mind for, do you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> but that's art and like maybe they'll never see the light of day and I'll just, I feel like at this point of time, I'm enjoying collabing with people. You know, I've just done two collab albums in a row, basically. I've done the one with Pitch Pitch 92 and I've done this one with Luke. And 
you know, I'm feeling it, it feels good. You know, it feels good to, you know, knock horns with somebody, with somebody else. And like, it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. If you think about it, that you like, you know, two separate people and you knock your head together for a while. And then you come up with something that you both envisioned before you started knocking your heads together. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it, it's crazy. I'm really enjoying that process of creating with other people, you know, cause when I'm in like feature world or whatever, I do spend a lot of time in solitude. Do you know what I mean? Which right. is, which is good for your craft, but also, you know, like I say, every now and again, it's good to, uh, get your head out of the, the ground for a bit. Do you know what I mean? So let's talk about the craft for a second. Um, you mentioned you got a ton of unreleased tracks. Uh, you mentioned you're constantly creating. So are you the type of person that lays down acapellas and sends them out just in case? Or are you the type of person that waits until you get a track before you put anything down? I'm do- I just I just constantly getting getting sent music. I just ask for music all the time. So like people who I've worked with or whatever, they con they constantly send me music, whether it's whether it's like, oh, here's my new tune or here's a bit of a loop I've got going and da 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 and then if it's that then usually if if it's if I'm if I'm feeling it then I'm I'm away and then it'll be okay, so what do you want to do with this? And more time they're like, Oh, you have it for your label or or more they'll be like, Oh well I'm doing an E P and I'll go, Okay then well you have this one and you send me another beat and I'll have another one for mine and then by doing that all the time, this pile of music that I'm constantly constantly chipping away at this pile of music builds and then whatever mood i'm in there's usually something knocking about so in terms of recording this album um you mentioned that you wanted a stripped down kind of sound to it so what did you do to this is for the for all the vocal geeks out there what did you do to your voice how did you treat it not 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 very much there's like there's certain tracks that have got little bits of effects and, and tiny bits, but on the on the whole, it's pretty dry. It's yeah. like minimal, you know, minimal compression because we just want we just really wanted that sort of personal feel to it, like where it's all you know it's raw. You know, in parts it sounds demo-y, some of the vocals, but it's just yeah, we just wanted that hand to mouth feeling about it rather than hand through a piece of glass and then to mouth or whatever, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it. But, I've, you know, when I got, the, like I said, I got the vinyl through today and um, I listened to it and, that, you know, you know, it just sounds really good, really beautiful. So uh, what do you have uh, coming up? We've got a little UK tour, like December, January time, and then we're going to go further afield, hopefully get over to see you guys some point early in the year. Yeah. Just, just, uh, I think we're going to Japan as well. Just get, just get it about, man. How many videos do you have right now for the for the album? We have one right now. You got there's one. Some more, yeah, there's some, there's some more coming uh, when it comes out on the 29th. There'll be another couple of things around that time. Yeah, I was gonna say. So, how much, how much video work are you gonna do for this? Are you sure? Are you trying to do every track like a lot of people are now, or are you just trying to do a few? Nah, I'm just gonna do a few. Just, we're just gonna do a few, probably like three or four. We were planning to do like a short film that went with it and all this stuff, but just time runs away with you, man. And just right. like getting pulling the whole project together, and you know, when you, we you know, we both got families and, and whatever. It's you know, it's it's almost impossible. So yeah, we we're doing our best, but like like I say, we're not. It's not like we're trying to you know get a million views or da da da. It's just like a lot of people listen with their eyes these days. So we just want to give you that option too. You know what I mean? Right. 
So have you gotten any feedback from her about the album? Yeah. Um, yeah, she liked, she liked the album and stuff, but, you know, obviously it's really raw because, right. you know, it was a bit of a, it was, it was like, yeah, I love the album. It's amazing. But, you know, obviously it made me feel a way. Do you know what I mean? I, I see. I don't know if I've ever been on the, uh, the end of a creative work where I was the one being talked about in a song yeah, yeah, or, or something like that. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm, I'm assuming you've probably uh, written tracks in some form or another about her before. Has yeah, she ever? Of I've, wrote, I've wrote love songs and I've wrote, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. It's it's with with an artist uh, and, and especially on an honest artist, you're you're gonna get you know you're gonna get the full story. So if you went if you went back like five years ago when we got together and probably started listening, then you're gonna hear you probably heard the full story to then to hear the end bit now do you know what i mean like because i only talk about things that actually go on in my life so you know whether it's happy emotion or sad emotion you know like losing mark herself and john and what you know my friends it you know you can hear all that in the story of them years you know what i mean and and it's it's sad but also life's a movie and you can you know there's there's a lot of episodes out there for you to uh have a look at (laughs) Has she ever, has she ever expressed, I mean, before all of this anyway, has she ever expressed any kind of discomfort with being the subject of a lot of your creativity? No, no, I think it's not, I think it must be nice for to be someone's muse or to, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be the, the point of, of, of inspiration or, or creation. Like, I think that would be, I personally, if someone was doing that, I think that was a beautiful thing. Like, you know, it's just, it's just very close to the bone. So it's just. I'm just very wary of of hurting, you know, hurting her feelings or hurting uh, when there's been enough hurt and break up and whatever. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like I feel like in no way has it ever been. Does it ever sound like uh, I'm I'm saying she's in the wrong or I'm saying or whatever? I'm just like I'm just giving an honest account of what, what's going down. Do you know what I mean? Right, especially because you're going to be family forever now, regardless. Because forever. You've got that's, a, what, that's what I'm got saying. Got a child so together. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just like a lot of people they do the opposite, don't they? They go on the bitter one and like bitch, and, and you know, you know what the hell? You know that's never gonna come from me. I just, I just have to document my life because you're not gonna be here for forever. And it's, you know, it's good to leave stories for people. Looking back now that you've had uh, a fair amount of time to reflect on like Marcus's death, and obviously there's been death uh, in your life since then. Um, have there been any takeaways in terms of uh, how you interact with people, what kind of legacy you want to leave behind, that kind of stuff? Um, and I'm asking this because, uh, me personally, like, you know, my my dad died this year. Uh, a friend, of, like a, a guy that I knew years back, back when when you were, like, touring with Bookham and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, like, the whole atmospheric and <laughs> bass scene was, like, a big thing. Um, he was, like, a big supporter of that and, like, Anyway, I hadn't talked to him for years and I found out he died the other day. And I was like, it was like one of those things where like, it's like yeah, the people like pass like two ships in the night or whatever. And you, you, your lives touch. And even if they don't, you don't see them for years. Cause so, it takes you back. cause the pro, cause of what it is when they pass away, it takes you back to conversations. And and then you realize, you know what? I haven't seen that fruit. I haven't like, I have you know, I always, you know, I always wanted to do that. I always want, and that's what I've been doing. I always wanted to make a hip hop album that I'm like, you know, 100% I love and it's me and it's dead and that's what I did. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, right. but it's put 
whole lot is done, it, I feel like it's a, it's turned up the speed. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, and by speed, it doesn't, with me, I work fast anyway, so it doesn't, it doesn't mean the quality is getting lesser. It means the quality is the same, but the output is getting more because, like, you know, we're not, we're not immortal. So I really, you know, felt and questioned mortality after, like, you know, this series of close people passing to me. And obviously, the older you get, the more it happens. So I'm just right. like, yeah. When it comes to your legacy, um, and you know, with all of the uh, thinking about death and getting older and stuff like that, I have become kind of focused on this idea of legacy personally. But when it comes to your legacy, um, is there a certain way that you want to be remembered or thought of after you're gone, or are you content to let your body of work speak for itself? Yeah, that's exactly it. The story, the story is there. If you just listened to the stuff, took a bit of time and listened from Bookham to you know to now you know the story's there it's in black and white the frustration the highs the lows the you know the wins the losses you know the the births the deaths the it's you know the, that's what i'm saying the whole pantomime's there it's it's you don't you don't have to go research just listen you know right. it's like a long it's like a lifelong audio book yeah so yeah i, I really feel like that's where it yeah, hopefully when I'm gone, people, you know, if, if if someone says, oh, yeah, this guy, DRS, you should check him out, I hope, like, you know, it's going to be one of them when you when you go on YouTube and you end up down a wormhole of something you never knew anything about and it so blows your mind and you have to know everything about it. I hope, yeah, that's the only hope. Right. My, my art makes people feel like that. Do you know what I mean? Makes you cry, makes you laugh, makes you feel something. As long as it makes you feel something, I don't, uh, you know, I don't care where the music goes or what it, it accumulates or makes. Or I just hope it makes my kids rich. That's, <laughs> there you go. Okay, last question before I let you go. Last night I was talking to uh, um, Polaris. We we're talking about atmospheric drone bass actually, and I so I started sending him some mixes and stuff, and and he was trying to ID a couple of tracks, and he sent me. He's like, here, look at it at this one at this timestamp, and I I went forward in the mix, and right at that spot, you said. <clears throat> the transdimensional gate is open wide. And I was yeah. like thinking to myself, I was like, man, you know, DRS and Conrad, though the lyrics at that time were very, I don't know, almost meta. Like they were about the music and about the experience of listening to the music. And yeah. like, there was a lot of that. So was there anything in particular that you were kind of back? I'm asking you to dig back now, dig deep, uh, thinking back to that time period. Uh, is there, was there anything that you were trying to, was there a mood that you were trying to evoke with your lyrics then, or were you just kind of writing off the top and whatever came, that's what you went with, or were you going for a certain no, kind, no, of, we, kind of theme? Cause obviously, obviously at the time of good looking records and, and, and all that stuff, you know, we were pioneers. We were like, we were, you know, we were, we were like from the future, we were like, we were thinking and 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 of, uh, surrounding ourselves with like future future and space stuff and right. this whole co cosmic energy. Do you know what I mean? Like which we fully believed in because this stuff had never been done before. Do you know what I mean? Throwing breakbeats together with massive bass and atmospheric pads and taking it around the world and people, you know, people getting it and and and, and feeling it all around the world. So, you know, it gave it. Then in t with time, it gave you confidence, and it like became 
how can I explain it? It, it, it kind of became like the ethos or the like, you know, right. the, yeah, like of good looking records, it, you know, and especially Blame, me and Blame spent, you know, we used to spend, you know, a lot of time together in studio and, and traveling around the world. And, and, you know, we were super like into science fiction and da da da. And it's, it, you know, it's, it was, it was all that and feeling right. like, you know, we are on the cusp of this technology. You know, we we had the latest synths and all this stuff, and it was just like it just felt so futuristic at the time. From imagine coming out of the eighties and into the early nineties, and then hip hop and everything, and then it, you know, it then it it just turned on its head into this crazy, you know, this crazy drum and bass jungle, whatever, you know, that we was making. You know, what I mean, and that's like why the lyrics were like that, and that's how, you know how it how it made us feel and how we was we felt like you know we, we were making people feel do you know what i mean like we was we, you know you were stepping on you know a fucking a spaceship when you came to the dance and it was just like then we dropped you off at the end do you know what i mean or right, whatever right. so it's, inter- yeah, it's so interesting that. that you're the name of your label is space cadet and your mixes with lsb are a space age and <clears throat> it's just funny how like you're you're kind of evoking that imagery a little bit again uh, yeah, kinda, yeah, kind of comes full I, circle. Speak, this is yeah, this is my label, so you know you're gonna get me. So the whole thing and the artwork and everything is, it's you know it's all retro and all plays on all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? And um, it's lot you know little Easter eggs and artwork and that that no one sees and like people have shouted me about. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, just just all the, all the fun shit about about being a geek you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah excellent all right dude well look i'm gonna let you go because i've uh, taken up enough of your time already but dude i thank you uh again very much you've been uh you're like the mvp of the show <laughs> so you think this is your third time on so yeah always um, a pleasure man all right whenever you, whenever you want to talk to me man i'll always come on the show you know that man. excellent man all right well i will uh i'll talk to you soon and uh take care of yourself okay love, love, all right easy, easy. So this is Faded by DRS and LSB from their album, The Blue Hour. Listen close, because this one is a slapper. Mm. This is the vocal. Like you never felt, hey, you 
searching for your own personal heaven, yeah That's the main reason why you're always finding hell We make ripples that are felt on Orion's belt In the middle of a meltdown, trying help But I didn't wanna lie down, light worker Weaving some beams to you right now, flying stealth Kamikaze, watch me crash your party, yeah And bring a vibe like you never felt, Hey, You're searching for your own personal heaven, yeah That's the main reason why you're only finding hell Save me from myself while I'm struggling Putting blame on someone else Don't save me Don't save me Forsake me Forsake me Cause I'm fading You'll never save me from myself I don't know nothing but I love I never felt Save me from myself, I don't know nothing but I love I never felt by myself and Conrad Subs entitled Update Funk and it's done by J.O.E. of Triplicate Audio it's going to be the bonus track on my remix LP coming out this winter on Duddy Bass Audio listen up everybody this is the vocal I feel frustration in my fingertips Stagnation, motivation, giving me the slip This is the season of my discontent Pulling me down, 20,000 leagues Quick cement in my feet Cause I'm a victim of my own making Shrink the blood, slit my wrist with procrastination Slow death, no sweat Cause I'm not creating anything worth a goddamn it's just my paper's empty, but I got a deadline pressing. Writer's block creeping up to take my weapons. My paper's empty, but I got a deadline pressing. Run the motherfucking
Even though I'm not very good at it, I try to see her in my dreams using astral projection. But I'm not nearly grounded enough And I'm a little bit erratic in my active direction I'm a little bit manic with my interconnections Cause my interconnection often comes undone Run them out of fucking rain That's the JOE remix of Update Funk by myself and Conrad Subs. And up next, we got another one from Diligent Fingers, as well as Jamo and Skungle. It's called Still of the Night. After that, we've got the Diligent Fingers interview. Cool London, listen up. This is the vocal. In the still of the night, where my demons Watch mine, 
from pure evil came something beautiful A man with a gift full of potential let me use it all Felt the wrath of some sinister malicious minds They broke me down but I got myself back up with time Age on my side, I've weathered plenty of storms I've been fighting since the day I was born And that's why I'm still standing Court judge demand respect Believe I've earned it While you rappers waste time being built by design You can find me in the lab still working Yeah, I've got my life in my rhymes My blood on the lines And in time I know we all will be worth it You can see the passion in my eyes Travel deep in my mind And realise you're only scratching the surface Yeah? In the still of the night Where my demons take flight I need a minute to clear my mind Of all the pain I'm feeling Try as I might Fear flight or fight I need a minute to clear my mind And find some space for healing In the still of the night Yeah, up next is our interview with Diligent Fingers and then after that, we got one more track from him entitled Everything Nice. And go check out the video on YouTube for that one. Everybody, have a Merry Christmas. Don't let Boris Johnson get you down. After the new year, you're going to fight back. That's the way it's got to go. Cool London, this is the vocal. Tell me if you remember what the first bit of music that you kind of discovered on your own. It wasn't like, you know, music that your parents played. It wasn't something yeah. that one of your older brothers or sisters played. You discovered it on your own yeah. and it got you excited. Do you remember what it was? Um, the Coming album by Buster Rhymes. That was like the first first album that I saw where I was like, oh, oh my God, who is this guy? He's got like massive long dreads. Like I always wanted dreads and my mom used to have dreads as well and stuff and like yeah I just bought it on a whim took it home and was just amazed by it I was like really big into like like Tupac and you know Triumph Called Quest and do you know what I mean like Day Hustle and stuff like that um, but that was always stuff that like my cousins like my uncles and stuff like that like gave like passed on to me as tapes as like recorded tapes and stuff right. but that was the first time I went to Woolworths which is like a sort of sort of like cheap store that sells oh we had Woolworths in the states too my friend don't worry oh wicked wicked yeah yeah yeah, man like yeah like that was the first album that i actually bought myself it was like right okay cool this guy looked cool he's got like he looks sick do you know what i mean let me see what he's about and yeah i've been a buster rhymes absolute absolute buster rhymes fan ever since because we're over in the uk we didn't really have that much of an insight to what was going on like right. in the scene at the moment, unless you had like Sky or cable where you could watch MTV and Yo MTV raps and stuff like that. Like it was right. literally, you know, if you caught something on off the off chance or you heard it on a mixtape that, you know, my uncle in America <laughs> sent it over to us and stuff like, I remember like every Wednesday religiously from like 14 years old, I would have VHS tapes like ones that were blank or ones that like I nicked off my foster mum that I was going to record over <laughs> and stuff. But I would go over to my mates because he had Sky. And every Wednesday at about 12 o'clock, 
like midnight we would be watching your mtv raps and recording all our favorite videos and stuff like that recording videos i remember those days man recording videos (laughs) (laughs) yeah i do man that was crazy i remember we didn't get cable in in my house until i was probably 16 or 17 so how did you decide that you wanted to start rhyming and i I say i preface this with a lot of people know you as an mc and there are videos of you battle rapping so let's get into when you decided hmm i think i'm gonna do that you know the funniest thing i i got onto it really really late really late like i've always been like since school like when i was first learning how to make music in school because i was never good with cheap music or anything like that like my music teacher put me in the studio and just left me to it and i was able to sort of remake my favorite songs so i would always write lyrics and that and i did go through that stage of like spitting in an american accent do you know what i mean but then I started like, I, then I started hearing like people like Method Man talking about don't bite my style, like Ghostface Killer talking about don't bite my style and stuff. So, and that really struck with me because in hip hop, it is all about being original. It doesn't seem like that nowadays, but it is all about being original. So from there, I was always writing lyrics, but I never really bit the bullet. I was more into like producing and stuff like that. And I think um, when it got to like 2002, 2003 i'd met a uh, producer called cranky fatso really sick producer and stuff like making hip-hop and i showed him some of my raps and stuff and then i had another friend called mitch who was also a drum and bass mc and stuff and he was writing lyrics as well so that was the first time i'd ever met anybody else that was into writing lyrics and stuff and like really into hip-hop though i had loads of friends that were really into hip-hop but not that deep into it um, and then a couple of other guys, like other producers, joined us and we formed a crew called um, Fusion Sounds. Okay, um, no, hold on, hold up. Now, you formed a crew, but yeah, <clears throat> had you had an opportunity before this to perform, like live? Yeah, but it was always, it was always like well-known songs and stuff like, like, I always say, when I speak to people about like my music sort of journey, I always say like, I feel like I had no choice but to be involved with music. Like my mum was on radio as I was growing up. My dad had a sound system and stuff. I remember at like six years old, my mum put me in for African drumming lessons and stuff like that. So, and she like, she jokes that like she went into labor because she went to you know, a local dance and she was a bit too close to the speakers and the, <laughs> the sub sort of like put her in labor and stuff. So I feel like there's always been a sort of connection of music with me, but in terms of like right, actually rapping anything of my own, it wasn't until like 2002, 2003 where I actually start like, I actually rapped my own lyrics to someone and they said, oh, you're pretty good. And I thought, okay, maybe I could do this. I still wasn't that confident with it even though in prime, like in secondary school, high school, um, as you call it, you know, I've won every school talent show, like four years straight and things like that. <laughs> things like that. I remember the last time I was in school, we performed um, Every Breath You Take, um, the P. Diddy version when uh, Big, <laughs> right, right, when right. The, uh, Notorious B.I.G. like sort of died. Um, so it was always like I, I, I got an A as a, as a qualification in music in school, in the high school. I got an A for my practical work. And what that was, was me 
recreating I Wonder If Heaven's Got a Ghetto by Tupac and then performing it <laughs> um, to my teacher as well. So it was always other people's stuff. It was, and then, yeah, 2003, like it wasn't to, even a big crowd, it was just to my friend, Cranky Sapphire. So he was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You should do a bit more. But I still wasn't that confident with it. Um, even then, like we did, even though we'd formed that crew in like 2000, yeah, it was definitely 2003, even though we'd formed that crew then, we still probably didn't do any live shows or even get like a full project together for another like three, four years or doing stuff like that. So there was never really a push to me to be lyrical or be an MC and stuff until around 2005, 2006. So how how old were you when you were formed this first crew? Uh, I would have been 21, nearly 22, I think. Okay. So yeah, pretty pretty late. Like I was still, I was always writing the little lyrics, never showed anybody. They were just in a book in my bedroom. But yeah, like, yeah, it was until 22 that I really, started oh okay i'll start writing some more rhymes and researching my favorite lyricists and stuff like that now you you formed this crew uh and you mentioned that one of the guys was also a drum and bass mc so you were yeah. familiar with drum and bass already oh yeah i was familiar with drum and bass from i was like 19 years old when i when, when i got my first hysteria tape i don't know if it was 13 and that was the first time i'd heard trigger Bassman, like Brian G, Roddy Size, DJ and Tunes and stuff. And that was when, it was funny because it was the moment I moved out of foster care and got a place on my own. It was like literally instantly I just met all these people that were really into drum and bass. And then from there, like they took me to my first free party, like just in the woods <laughs> one time. And you know what I mean? Just listening to like techno, hardcore and drum and bass and stuff and just getting into the scene there. Yeah, it was cool. It was an experience. <laughs> now you are, um, you're different. Well, you're different in a lot of ways to a lot of people, but <clears throat> compared to who I have talked to on this show before, yeah. you have an extra couple of dimensions and that you are also a DJ and you are also a producer. So how did yeah. you come to start doing that stuff? Well, the producing came first. Yeah. Like, especially from school, um, in primary, um, in high school, sorry, never forgetting Mr. Jackson, absolutely amazing teacher and stuff, got me out of a lot of trouble because I was going through the care system and living with foster parents and stuff like that. But producing was first, like when I left school and then left foster care, I started making tunes on the PlayStation on a game called Music Generator oh, 2000. I, I remember that very well. Yeah, like that was that was like that was like my comfort blanket because I missed creating so much. But like from leaving school, I remember we just had like this small sound modulator and like a MIDI keyboard, and then like this old Atari computer, and it had Cubase VST5 on it. That's taking it way back. That's like ninety two, ninety three. <laughs> days and because it had sounds on it pianos strings and stuff like that there was enough there for me to be able to just figure it out on the keyboard and then sort of figure out how to record it and stuff like that but when i left school i had nothing i didn't have much money or anything like that so i couldn't buy a computer i didn't even know or realize at that point that i needed an actual computer just to do it like i just thought it was just magic <laughs> but like make just make music on this machine and stuff so from there it was like a lot of like trial and error a lot of like sort of scrounging pc parts from 
all of my geeky friends to like build my first computer and get some sort of program, like get hold of reason. I think around 2000, um, I managed to scrimp a computer together. I managed to get a copy of, um, a dodgy copy of, uh, reason. That was when I, like, I got onto dial up internet. Yeah. I found mm. a forum called, um, Northwest drum and bass.co.uk. So it was like representing the Northwest of the, um, of England in terms of drum and bass. And that was where I started meeting people like Sapo, believe it or not. And, Mark XTC and all these like sort of Manchester legends, but it was like everyone that was involved in the scene, like even Wilf, um, DJ Prophecy, who runs Metropolis here in Manchester. You know, I was even able to speak to all these people that were involved in the scene. And, you know, I, I found out that the first free party that I went to, um, was by a crew called Daylight Robbery. And even they were part of this forum and stuff. So instantly, I was able to connect with all of these people that were really into creating music and, you know, this new thing called drum and bass and jungle. And, you know, I've been listening to it onto tape packs and now these people are making it. But at that point, I still hadn't figured out how to DJ. Yeah, about 2000, I was going to these raves and stuff, but I just didn't know how everything was sort of putting together. To me, I still thought it was just one big, long song with loads and loads of different transitions <laughs> on the tape and stuff. Yeah, so like, yeah, produ- producing was always first. And then I think it was 2001, I went to a friend's birthday party um, and he had a pair of Technics 1200s, the silver ones, and he was playing all the tunes that I've been hearing on these tape acts. <laughs> From there, it was like, oh, <clears throat> that's how you do it. Okay, I need to be able to do that. I need to mm-hmm. learn how to do that. And within two months of me going to that party, I'd been a little bit naughty, but I'd managed to save up enough money <laughs> to like, actually get a pair of like turn like di- um, belt drive turntables. Oh. They were Gemini, Gemini. XL four <laughs> hundreds, yeah, Gemini XL four hundreds and a Gemini six four six free channel mixer yeah from there i was just gone that was it i was just away like i think it was like three months straight i didn't have a job i just went on benefits and every single day i was just battering them decks figuring out how to how to be a dj so the whole time basically you have been producing djing and emceeing i didn't start emceeing until 2006 okay even that was by accident really so tell me how that happened Okay. Yeah. Like in 2006, um, he was DJing a lot, doing it all for free, trying to get on as many events as I possibly could to just get my name out there. And one of my close friends, um, John Craxton, aka John C, he was like the encyclopedia of drum and bass to me. He knew the names of every single tune that I would play him. And he started getting into promoting and wanted to bring down, I think it was Dylan Lime Wax. And Robin Chaos um, oh, okay. for a night for an event called Refuge, and at that point in time, there was a lot, more or less everyone in Manchester that was an MC barring, you know, Trigger, DRS, and you know Tom Piper, but everyone wanted to be Skibbity. You know what I mean? Everybody wanted to be the fast MC and stuff. So they came to me like, oh, they knew that I'd done a bit of hip hop and stuff. They'd heard a couple of tracks on my MySpace. Um, and asked me to host. 
So I was like, yeah, man, I won't even need to do anything. I was going to treat it just like a sort of reggae, sort of reggae dance hosting, just toasting, making sure everyone's out all right kind of thing. Did the event, absolutely enjoyed it. I can honestly say I hardly said a word because I was skanking that much. <laughs> and that, but I did manage to like spit a couple of the bars, do you know what I mean? But I didn't know it was being recorded. So after the night, it was an amazing night, and they put on a couple more, but they surprised me and actually put the um, the recording from the night, I think it was hosting for Dylan, um, and they put that up on D&D share for everyone to download. And I, don't, and I downloaded it, listened to it, laughed a bit because I remembered that I was a bit drunk that night, so I hear myself slurring and stuff like that and getting really excited about certain tunes that were being played. But after that, I started getting messages like, oh, do you want to come and host for this night? Do you want to come and host for this night? And like within about three months, everybody had completely forgotten that I was a DJ and I was just getting booked to, to like host an MC like for all of these <clears> nights, which at first was pretty annoying, really. Well, I was going to ask you how that felt. Like, were, Did that bother you or was it? Was... Well, I spent so much money on vinyl, <laughs> like, putting mix, mixes together to put out and stuff. And by accident, like everyone just sort of latched onto me being an MC. And it's only recently, the last couple of years, that I've come back and made a point of like, I do DJ as well. I can DJ, you know what I mean, and stuff, because it got really, it did get a bit disheartening, because I would put myself forward, like, oh, book me to DJ, and be like, nah, nah, but we'd love to get you on the mic and hosting for big people like Audio, Prolix, like Current Value, Paradox, like I've, I've hosted for Paradox when he's brought his massive 24-track uh, yeah. mix. I did too, man, it was insane. Oh my God. <laughs> it was insane. He brought, this was in, uh, oh shit. Uh, 2000, and he brought over to North America. He brought, uh, the, I mean, these two cathode ray computer monitors, these yeah. massive keyboard. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, Unreal, just man. Just bringing his home studio everywhere he goes, basically. Like, it's crazy. But yeah, as, as a result, like, I am grateful because I got to meet so many, like, amazing artists and, like, share the stage with some people that I've, always wanted to share the stage with you know you know like i said like prolix audio current value paradox equinox you know like even even ink and loxy and people like that like i've hosted for a lot of you know big names in the scene so i am grateful but yeah for a good seven eight years like everyone forgot that i was a dj (laughs) i was gonna say you know we were talking last night about uh, this idea of controlling your own reality, controlling your own narrative. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're going to get into you leaving drum and bass for a while uh, mm-hmm. in a little bit. Um, but the point is like, you know, since you've come back, it's been a multi-pronged attack of you emceeing yeah. and DJing and producing. And it's been like this opportunity to sort of reinvent yourself uh, mm-hmm. in a way, reestablish yourself on your own terms. And yeah. I don't think that there's really anybody else out there doing uh, what you are doing in terms of how many layers you are active in. Um, I want to bring us right to the point where uh, you step back from drum and bass and we'll get into the mental health aspect of it all. But up until you stepped out of the music, you were involved pretty heavily with block to block, correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Um, what was your relationship with them? 
Um, so I, I was still, so I was still like sort of emceeing and sort of stopped producing drum and bass and giving up on the whole DJing aspect. But, but, you know, I was hosting, I got to a point where I was earning a bit of side money with, with emceeing and stuff. So I was still, I was um, still doing that. But on, outside of that, I was um, producing music for uh, Millennium Jazz Music, uh, which is like a label. Um, UK label focused on sample based jazz infused, soul infused, neo soul sort of based, um, hip hop instrumentals. Um, so I was focusing very heavily on that. And then also I met, um, Jack Banner. So I think this was around 2011, I think maybe 2012 through a couple of mutual friends and stuff and I'd seen him a couple of times in the club with his camera out and stuff like that and at that point I'd just gotten into video editing because as I was making music for Melian Jazz I'm also producing for you know like rappers from London all over the UK basically and then I really started taking sort of writing hip-hop really seriously and stuff so I'm doing mixtapes collaborative projects and producing for artists and stuff like that but I was sort of at a point where I was just like a workaholic. Like I just had to, had to be creating all the time. So when I met up with Jack Banner and at that point, I was just starting making my own music videos because I couldn't afford to actually pay for music videos myself. That was a way for me to sort of fast track my learning of editing videos as well as getting, getting involved in the music scene, but in a, from a completely different as- aspect from like behind the lens. So I was nothing to do with hosting or anything like that, even though some events I would be hosting certain sets and then I would be filming <laughs> at the same time as well, trying to capture as much of the night as possible and stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just really, I just really resonated with, with Jack Banner's like vision, like of what, what he wanted to do for Manchester, what he wanted to do for the scene. Cause there wasn't really anybody doing what we were doing in terms of capturing you know, club events, drum and bass events in Man- Manchester, but more, in a more of a candid way. It wasn't super polished. It wasn't super professional. It was just more fun. And because we knew artists as well as a lot of the ravers through like all the years that we put in the scene, we were going out and stuff. Um, plus Banner had just come, come, um, come out of like a really rough time personally as well, you know, and he's got a couple of kids and he was trying to support his kids. So that really resonated with him. And then for years, for a good three years straight, we sort of dominated Manchester in terms of videos, doing freestyle videos, club events. We did a 15 years of Shadow Demon um, video special. Um, we'd managed to film at some really big events and get really good interviews from people like Ace Hood, uh, Large Professor, some of um, Slum Village. We'd managed to film them. We were, we were working pretty closely with a lot of promoters, you know, in Manchester as well as as a result of doing our videos. And then we started bringing in, you know, some of the younger generation because Jack, Jack's always been about bringing the kids through, bringing the young, younger generation through, which I have always been about myself as well. So we started bringing kids in, you know, to like go out and, you know, learn how to film club events, learn how to use cameras and stuff like that. But unfortunately, one of our cameras got lost. One of our best cameras got lost um, accidentally in a taxi and stuff. So then we had to just sort of try and adapt and survive. So we started using GoPro cameras and stuff like that. But we've gotten gotten ourselves to a standard where 
it was getting pretty high and people were expecting a certain quality from us and the GoPros weren't really doing it. Um, and then I, then unfortunately, that was a point where I kind of had a mental breakdown and kind of worked myself to the bone and stuff and had to step away from everything, everything for a bit. It's a mad thing to think looking back because we covered so much ground in so much, such a short space of time. Do you know what I mean? And now it's at a point where block to block is like known all across the UK now. Do you know what I mean? And we are, we are known for bringing kids through because when we were doing freestyle videos, it was literally anyone, whether you were big or small, if you wanted to do a video, just get in touch. I'll be there with the camera, we'll get it done and we'll push it out to everyone. Like at first we just didn't care. We didn't care about money. We didn't care. Do you know what I mean? That our status was getting bigger or anything like that. We were just focusing on putting more of a spotlight on Manchester and showing the rest of the UK and the world what Manchester is really like, how we party, do you know what I mean? The, the, the hidden gems that we've got in Manchester, the hidden artists that are doing big things, you know, we do, we were just all about representing our city to the fullest. I remember you, uh, you left me like a voice message talking about yeah. the last episode and you were specifically mentioning that the, the, the subject of <clears throat> younger MCs being kept out of drum and bass yeah. by the older MCs. And I was going in maybe a little bit in depth about theories about why people are so protective of drum and bass culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you, you said you definitely sound like you had some things to say about that. So let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, I, I found it really interesting that that was kind of a, a perception that was seen because I don't know. I, th- I, I think maybe from Connie Con's perspective, it may it may be like that um, because he's coming from a completely different genre into do you know what I mean drum and bass. But then again, like you said, drum and bass just embraced children of Zeus. Do you know what I mean? Like no problem. Like they were already part of the family um, kind of thing. Well, that's but that's actually it, that's actually uh, why I kind of thought his comment was interesting because he hmm. saw that as an outsider. I, it's almost like, you know how sometimes people from the outside see things almost more clearly than those who are deep in it? And that's kind of yeah. why I was like, oh, maybe there's something to that, you know? And then, you know, when I was talking to Armani Rain and and you were mentioning, you, you mentioned something about how, you know, you didn't know the scene was so scattered and spread out in the States and stuff like that. And, you know, our perception over here is yeah. real different than it is to the people over in England. Um, because we're so spread out. So, you know, we never saw a lot of that. The people that were doing it over North America were super protective of it because there's just so few people doing it in general, like compared to in England where drum and bass is and dance music is ubiquitous. It's all over the radio. It's all over TV, you know, here, even though like, you know, EDM and rave music has blown up. It's still a very niche kind of thing. So I never got to see all that. So you telling me that, you know, you were involved with an organization that is specifically bringing up younger MCs to be a part of, of the industry, um, mm-hmm. to me is a, is a very refreshing kind of thing. And I think it's still something that we don't see a lot of. I agree. And that's why, that's why I found it interesting to hear those sorts of perspectives. And that I think for me personally, like, especially being involved with it for so long and stuff. I've always, I've always sort of, I had to get over the fact of, okay, my time may not be as soon as I wanted it to. 
I had to learn to get over that fact very, very quickly, you know. And then, but because I think because I've been, I've been involved in youth work as well, where I am teaching people how to write creatively, I am teaching people how to DJ and stuff like that. I think I've just got that teacher side of me where it's not a problem for a young a young one that's coming through to speak to me and ask for advice or anything like that. And I don't know, maybe maybe because I'm involved in in it so much. I may not see the gatekeepers gatekeeping, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I may not see it, but I don't know. That's been mine and banners, like, and especially the people that have been around me. That's been our, you know, sort of goal for the last sort of seven to eight years. Like, the young ones are going to be the ones that are going to going to be carrying it on. So, you know, I've never been one that's been like, oh, you're not a real DJ unless you're on vinyl. Like, well, come on. Like, technology is technology. Like, yeah, you know, I, think, I think that's done. I don't think there's too many people that do that say that shit anymore. Oh, oh, no. There's still a lot. <laughs> In the UK, there's still a lot that's, that, that still talk like that. Well, I mean, there's that? a lot. There's a lot in the States, too. But, you know, none of those people are playing out. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That seems to be the common denominator. Like, like, but at the same time, we do live in a generation of it's not what you've done. It's what have you done for me lately? Do you know what I mean? I think, I think that's partly the the disposable nature of music right now. At the same time, at the same time, we've got to embrace that the internet is responsible for making a lot of independent artists now rather than having to rely on labels and stuff like that even though i think drum and bass is still the only genre where there is still a bit of a reliance on labels not to the point of like like mainstream labels where there's 360 deals and stuff like that but if you can get a release on a on a respectable label like ram um, ram records or true players or even labels like low down deep deep in the jungle and you know labels like that getting placements on those types of those types of platforms will still do good things for your profile but you can you still have the power to be able to self-release like boo is self-releasing um a tune on vinyl as well as um, on digital i think next month do you know what i mean and he's got enough of a profile to be able to do that so there's still a lot of freedoms ironically that's a holdover from like sort of dub plate culture you know status and you know there is no like dub plates anymore in a sense you know oh, what i mean no. like you can get unreleased tunes from people and that's great but i mean there's so much music out there that i, I think most people aren't real aware if a tune is unreleased and you need those feathers in your cap to kind of show that you are in rarefied air as it were yeah. you know so if you have tunes out on these particular labels it's like well look what i'm doing you know um that's me speaking off the record i'm not gonna <laughs> not an expert with that shit but uh no no you're right you're I, right completely i will oh also i want to ask in the broadcast but you know you were mentioning um like teaching the young ones and stuff like that have you ever thought about like doing the kind of thing that lady mc is doing or even like approaching her about i don't know somehow doing some sort of like offshoot in manchester like teaching kids you know low-income kids uh how to make music and all that stuff yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think um, it's something that's definitely in the pipeline as soon as I've got my mental health a bit more under control, you know, than it is now, really. But, yeah, man, it's, like, it's, it's something that's that I thrive off, like, you know, seeing someone that's completely fresh to the scene, completely fresh to producing or DJing and watching them develop and get the hang of things and then 
you know, there's something, there's really gratifying thing that comes from that. So I've always wanted to chase that, but it's just being, being able to be in a position, like it used to be about qualifications, this, that, and the other. Now, if you've got enough of a, of an audience, enough of a reach, then you can be seen as a quotation marks influencer. You know, and I suppose, yeah. I suppose that's what I'm kind of mm. working towards in some sort of sense, especially with the mental health side of things. Not necessarily that I want to be an influencer, but you know, that's the label that you get given. Mm, no, not an influencer. Influencer is, 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 uh, that's a very superficial thing. But you know what? You're operating on your own level, doing, carving out your own unique space. And I think that going forward with, that particular approach educationally or as an influencer, you'll be able to carve out your own space doing that too. So I, you know, that's the plan. Yeah, that's yeah. the plan. I hope so. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, the reason that you stepped away from music and kind yeah. of the driving force behind why we're talking. You basically had a, uh, <clears throat> a mental health, emotional health crisis. You know, we talked about this before. Um, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that you basically were a firsthand witness to an episode of very tragic violence within the family, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was correct. Yeah. So yeah. with any traumatic act of violence, um, people, you know, in war zones and stuff like this experience this, mm-hmm. you know, survivors of violence experiences, but that left you, um, with PTSD, post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder. So let's talk about uh, where your mental health state went. At first, it was a lot of denial due to due to a lack of understanding of what was going on in my brain. But it was a good five years of denial um, what was happening to me mentally. Well, what, um, when was for clarification? You when was the event in question, and when did you actually decide to drop out of music? How how long of a span um, was that? Um, Two thousand and eight was when it happened. Uh, I think it was 2016 was when um, I sort of dropped out of music for okay. about two and a half, nearly three years. A, a couple of years had gone by before you finally decided that you had yeah. had enough and you got overloaded. Yeah. So, all right. So I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted a little time context there. All right. So tell, yeah. tell us about like step by step, not step by step, but like not a play by play, but really sort of your descent into sort of mental unwellness for lack of a better term um it was due to a lack of distractions if i can say if i can say that completely honestly you know because for the first five years after it happened because i'm the oldest in my family in terms of my mum's immediate kids um you know with no father figure figure around it falls on the oldest you know i mean to sort of be the head of the house this sort of man of the family. So for five years was kind of like autopilot. As long as my mum was okay, my grand, my aunties, my, you know, my youngest brothers and sisters, as long as they were okay. And I was able to help them deal with their grief in their own way. Sort of like I, I didn't have to think about myself. Um, and also because I was in quite a loving relationship at that point in time, there was plenty of distractions. Um, I think that was the same time where I really jumped into block to block and my music and, you know, stuff like that. Like, I really ran myself into the dirt for a good, good five years, like, under the pretense that I'm being productive and 
a lot of things are happening, like Block to Block is really taking off. My music on Millennium Jazz is really taking off because I'm getting placements on foreign radio shows in New Zealand New Zealand and stuff like that. I've just asked my girlfriend to marry me and she said yes. And you know, I've got a really good job. I'm working for Virgin Media, working up my way up to be a manager of the team. So I was really running myself into the dirt, trying to just do as much as I possibly can to keep my mind off what was slowly happening, which was, you know, signs of psychosis, signs of, you know, PTSD rearing its ugly head. I would have flashbacks, you know, back to the point of, you know, when it happened and stuff. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I was going to say, how, is, how was the, the psychosis? How is the PTSD, the depression? How are those things manifesting themselves? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, flash, uh, flashbacks. Um, I would hear certain things from what happened even though I would, there's no reason why I should be hearing these things. You know, it's the part of the reason why I stepped away from music is because I started having panic attacks. Um, at the, at the rage that I was booked for, I started having really bad panic attacks where I couldn't even go out on stage because I'm hearing these things that I know I have no business hearing at the times of the day in the location that I am, you know, but I just are you talking about hold on wait hold on a second let me backtrack one second hearing yeah. things within your own head or hearing things yeah. from other people like audio audibly it'd be in my own head but audibly i would feel like i heard it like i would hit like i heard it from around the corner or from behind me or you know stuff like that and it would okay. be you know it would be the cries from the people that i lost you know really like like or i would i would be so convinced that I have seen the close one that I lost, you know what I mean? Either in the crowd or, do you know what I mean? Like in a shopping center or, right. you know, just walking down the street, do you know what I mean? Someone would, may look like that person or talk like, sound right. like that person. But I have no, I know that they're not there. I know that they're gone. Do you know what I mean? So, but I would just push it. I would try and push it so far back in my head and then around I think around 2015 2016 it, it really just started getting to the point where it was just way too much but I had like bless my bless my ex my ex-partner you know like we tried so many things when she started realizing that something was wrong with me we, we tried so many things so many different counselors we even tried hypnotherapy because it was so much for her to deal with like I have no ill will against her whatsoever I understand someone that's going through this and doesn't understand what's going on and, you know, as a result is lashing out and not violently, but really swift changes in mood and, do you know what I mean? It's like, like just going through so much mentally that you just don't understand and you've got no reference points or no one that you can really talk to about it and stuff. Because especially because of how severe the situation was I always got that look when I when I explained it to a counsellor or a doctor I always got that look of oh my god and, and that would put me in that would make me feel a certain way because for me it's like oh, I don't want them thinking about it I don't want that image in their head so it was a lot of yeah it was a lot of trying to find as many distractions as I possibly could but it got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore and I nearly took myself off this planet nearly taking yourself off the planet was that an actual attempt or just considering the attempt uh, it was a botched attempt okay so it was a botched attempt. the botched attempt now did that take place yeah. after you had stepped away from music 
yeah, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Where got it? Like, okay. I, I, I really have to step away. I really have to calm down. Like, I'm gonna have to disappoint a lot of people. You know what I mean? But I really need to step away. And really, just focus on focus on myself because I tried to get basically I tried to get myself run over, um, which is horrible when I look back because I'm basically putting you know, my life in the hands of somebody else without their permission or consent or anything really. Like explain what you were what you were actually thinking leading up to that though. Like I, I do I there are several people close to me who have attempted suicide. And yeah. they have all said basically in the throes of their uh their mental state and their emotions that they were convinced that the rest of the world would be much better off without them because they were in some form or another, being a burden to, to the people around them. Yeah. There's only one other person that I knew that that tried it and survived who did not actually say that. He actually said that he was just attempting to stem the pain that he was feeling because it had just become too much. So what was the thought process like with you right at that time? It, it was a combination of both. It was a combination of both those situations. I felt like I felt like I failed my family. Um, and that was why what happened had happened. You know, I started placing guilt on myself. Like if I, you know, cause I'd fallen out, I'd fallen out with the person, um, like a couple of days beforehand. I was supposed to go and go and see them at that time when it happened in 2008. I was in a really sort of abusive relationship of a pretty violent relationship. Um, and trying to figure out how to na- navigate that and you know at that point in time when she called me um you know i was halfway through a really bad argument so there was a lot of guilt from there there was a lot of pain like like from just having that scenario in my head like seeing a result of you know the extreme result of mental health you know what happened as a result of that and who we'd lost and just having those images in my head keep coming back to me you know it was painful it was just a constant pain in my heart and ache in my body as well as you know at that time when things were broken down breaking down I developed like really bad back problems um sciatic I got two um prolapse discs so as a result I was taking a lot of time off work and then I had to leave work and try and get this sorted so then money became low because we went, we've gone from a two income household to a one income household and stuff. And then there was, because as a result of that, there was a lot of bickering in my family. Cause at that point I was supporting a lot of my family with the money that was coming in. Cause I was earning good money and um, paying my mum's bills and things like that. So all of that was breaking down at the same time as well. Me and my, my, my girlfriend, this is later on in 2016. Me and my girlfriend, well, fiance at the time, we were having, you know, a lot of arguments. I was spending a lot of time on my own and just shutting her out and smoking way too much ganja. But at the time, I felt like I was no use to anybody. I'd gone gone from being a provider to not being able to really provide for myself. I'd gone from being a healthy human to having these back problems that are now stopping me from being able to get work and waiting on our, you know, the waiting lists for operations or you know, scans and things like that take a long time. 
it's the good then it's the sort of realization of okay how long is things going to be like this when am i going to be able to start working again we ended up losing the the apartment that we were in oh a lot of things a lot of things was going on and that and just getting on top of me and i just felt like i'm just no use to nobody i just wanted this pain to stop i wanted to stop hearing these things that i was hearing and seeing these things that i was seeing I was losing my mind because I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating. And, you know, I was literally been walking the streets of Manchester for like three days straight with no sleep. And I did like, I'm literally going through the motions. Right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. What have I got? Right, I've not got a knife. I've not got anything to harm myself with. Where can I go? I can do that. I've got just too many people there. Someone will stop me. Right, I'm just going to walk out in the road. Like, that was literally my thought process, you know. And luckily, the car stopped. It banged my leg. Do you know what I mean? But it stopped soon enough to not do any any kind of damage. And the guy came out like a massive guy came out, punched me in the face, and chased me down the road. And that was the point where I was like, "What am I doing?" And I managed to find a friend um, that lived in the area and stuff, and explained you know part of what happened. But that I was just in the state. And then it was a, it was a conversation with the Samaritans and the early intervention team, which is like a mental health sort of crisis team um, in the UK. They got involved. And from there, it's just been a steady sort of journey of finding the right sort of therapy, finding the right meds, gaining understanding of what's actually happening, what's going on in my brain. So let's, let's, it. let's talk about that then. Let, what, yeah. what brought you back from the abyss over? It's going to be, you know, a few years, obviously, before you decide to engage in music again. Um, mm-hmm. So what brought you from that point into, I don't want to say a sense of normalcy because there is no normal after that. But what brought no. you to your new normal, I should say? So we got to, so we got to a point where it was like a good year and a half where I hadn't done anything. What was frustrating about it was, beforehand i was making music but it, there was there was soul to it and i was trying but it just felt, i just felt like there was no soul to anything that i was doing and then when it came to writing lyrics all i could write was just pain and despair <laughs> and it really frustrated me because it was like i want i want to feel good like i can't make happy music if i'm not happy it just i can't fake that do you know what i mean and then it got to a point where over the over the years I'd managed to get like ten tracks together and they were probably the most personal tracks that I'd written. And it was my birthday. It was like I really wanted to put it out because at least it was something new, but I was scared. I was scared of what people were gonna think. I was scared of the fact that I'd let out a lot of information that I normally hadn't let out before. <sighs> Because it had been so long, I was scared that I wasn't relevant anymore. Do you know what I mean? I was scared that, you know, the meds that I was on was affecting me too much. I was scared that I wouldn't. There was so much fear in terms of coming back, even though I wanted to come back so much. I felt like there was a part of me that was missing that I wasn't making music, even though it was so frustrating to just not be in the right frame of mind for it. But I'd managed to get this project together and it was my birthday. Um, I was sat down, sent it to my mate Marcus, um, MAB, who's part of obnoxious entertainment, um, hip hop side of things. 
had sent it to him like a week beforehand and stuff. And I was just sat, I was just sat and I was listening to it over and over again. I was just sat on my own, on my birthday, on my couch. And he rang me. My mate Marcus rang me and just said, look, I listened to it. It's good. You know it's good. Just put it out. Because if you don't put it out, I think you're never going to make music again. And him saying that to me scared the life out of me. Because I had to think about, okay, really, like, if I don't go back to music, who am I? What am I going to do? Like, what's going to fill that, that space? And it scared me the fact that I could not think of anything, anything at all. I pressed publish, clicked publish, and then from there, it's just, yeah, the ball's just sort of been rolling. But it took, it really took someone, the fact that someone said that I may never do it again, and it, it really did feel like it was getting to that point because I just could not find a way to just feel good about anything musically that I was trying to do. Did you deal with any kind of, uh, any kind of guilt from the idea that you were, I don't know, uh, so concerned about trying to create again in the face of everything that had happened? Like, did you feel oh, yeah. like, okay, well this is, this doesn't actually mean anything. This is, this is just music. Like, why am I trying to do this? Did you ever feel like guilt related to that? Or uh, I think it, 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 there was a lot of guilt, but I think it was more. It was more of the fact of you know people have been hitting me up like, oh, this is happening in your music, or that is happening with your music, or we need you to come back. We wish you'd come back, and you know messages like that, and I would ignore them, and you know, but I'd feel like I was letting them down because I'd built up such a good relationship with certain people and stuff like that. So there was a lot of guilt from there in that. But in terms of towards my old music, it was just frustration. It was just complete frustration compared to now where everything that I make, like I'm the type of person where if I make something and I can't sit there but sit there with it on loop and just buy about whilst I'm smoking a little zuggy. Do you know what I mean? Then I, lo- I don't like it and I won't carry on. And it just felt like that was all I was doing for two years. Like maybe because I've been involved in music for so long, something like this was, was going to stop that. So I feel, yeah, do I feel there was a bit of an element of guilt there? <clears throat> Interesting take on the guilt itself. All right. So let's talk about your actual, the, the process of mental health recovery. During that time after you had stepped away from music and you were really hitting your mental health crisis head on. What did it take for you to start that slow climb back in terms of treatment, therapy, blah, blah, blah. Like what, what kinds of things did you have to engage in? If they hear this, I'm sorry, but it is completely the truth. The biggest thing that I had to do was cut my family off. I was that that was the biggest thing that I had to do because so much over the years, as well as, the incident um, per se had happened within our family because um, I'd suffered from depression way before 2008 just in regards right. to you know how I was told I was conceived kind of thing so I've been suffering with depression and it was always an element of okay don't focus on me focus on anybody, everybody else I'm a mistake so I'm lucky to be here so my services to everybody else kind of thing so long, it was always, long story short but, with your family though, um, because mm-hmm. that, that could be a whole other podcast. 
Um, Long story short with your family, though, it was removing yourself from a toxic situation, removing yourself from people around you who were not conducive to positive mental health. From there, where did you go? Um, I started um, CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Like I said, I'd spoken to Samaritans and then they put me in touch with the Early Intervention Center. Um, early intervention team, sorry. Um, and then I was put on a, a, a sort, of, sort of crisis watch. Um, because obviously suicidal thoughts, attempts at like ending my life and things like that. Um, so I had a support worker who I would see once a week. Then I had therapy, CBT once a week as well. And then I had a counselor, um, that I would speak to. So I would be speaking, I would be meeting up with three people per week, tackling different sides, excuse me, of, you know, my mental health as well as my life at that point in time. Because um, I'd gotten to a point where I was living in like a really dingy, horrible sort of flat. It was the only thing that I could afford them benefits. Like I'd gotten myself to like desperate sort of situations. So they were helping me to sort of help get me out of that. Um, but it was like three, three different te- type, uh, three different people that I would speak to e- each week, tackling different, different sides of my mental health and the psychosis side with the CBT counseling, just in general and depression side, because obviously that was exacerbated with the PTSD. And then I had um, a housing support officer that would help me get a better place to live. So out my finances, um, and things like that. And that carried on for, for two years, what had been happening and what's happening with my family, how I see like sort of relationships um, outside of my family with certain friends and stuff like that, because trust became a massive problem. Like trust, I sort of lost trust with everybody. There was, they ended up being a lot of bickering between my family and things like that, a lot of talking behind backs and being able to take myself out of that tornado, so to speak was probably the best thing where I could just focus on me and I had to force myself to really focus on me and to take away all of the crutches that I had, like my family, even though it was, even though it was turmoil, at least it was something for me to focus on and try and fix. Do you know what I mean? But I needed to fix myself and really having to take a look at myself and accept certain things about myself and also realize certain things about myself that I didn't before. Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard, but it had to be, it had to be done because I'd put too much of myself worth in being the family man, so to speak. Why, why is it so important for you personally to, to talk about mental health and, and your own mental health, uh, openly? Because through the journey, especially with, with PTSD, um, in terms of like my therapy, the one thing that I craved the most was being able to speak to somebody that had some sort of an idea of what I was going through. Um, because it's such a, a unique situation. There's other, there's, there's similar things that people can talk about and draw on as, as examples and stuff like that. But there was never anything that was close enough to what I was going through. You know, I mean, the only things that I could think of that are close enough is, you know, in terms of 
back in back in the nineties, there was a lot of gang violence going on in Manchester. So I remember, you know, my cousins, some of my cousins having problems with seeing some of their friends get shot or stabbed. Do you know what I mean? And things like that. But I'd never really there was no one that was in the network of, you know, helping with mental health that was on that level, if you know what I mean. And then I couldn't really talk about it with any of those kind of friends like my cousins or anything like that because, you know, there was always that, there was still that stigma of, do you know what I mean, or oh, mental health, oh, nah, man, just go gym, just go gym, man, I'll sort you out, now. just go for a swim or just do something and it'll just sort your brain out. And it was just like, I couldn't talk to those people because they just didn't get it. So I had to do my own research, like, or I had to, I had to just find certain things that I could just relate to. And through that, I started to realize that, okay, PTSD is a lot more common than we think. But the only sort of poster child that we have for PTSD is war veterans and stuff like that. That's instantly the first thing that everybody thinks of when we think of PTSD. Um, And then also on the other side of, okay, there isn't anyone there, um, or at least I haven't found them yet. Do you know what I mean? There isn't anyone there. And it it was also important that they they had to be black. I'm sorry how how that may sound, but it was really important that they had to be black because there there is an element of the black experience involved in. To repeat, you said it was important that you had to find somebody who was black to talk to. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I and I actually wanted to. I did want to ask you directly. You know, you being a black man, uh, mm-hmm. and what that means in the grand scheme of your mental health journey, um, because obviously, um, people of color suffer disproportionately from mental illness. They uh, have a lack of access to mental health um, mm-hmm. treatment that uh, white people uh, do not have. Um, yeah. And. There's the added twist of being uh, a man, and men are generally discouraged from seeking mental health treatment. So I want uh, you to reflect on that when it comes to yourself and when it comes to you seeking out other people uh, to help guide you and to talk to in your mental health journey. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the struggle. That was the struggle. Like, like um, those parameters that you put through, like I'm a man, I'm also a black man within the black community is common that, you know, mental health isn't really something that's taken serious. Maybe a lot more now, nowadays, but back then when it was, when I was growing up and there's also when I was going through it, it wasn't something that was common. So it was something that I was yearning for. Also, abandonment issues with my dad and biological father and stuff like that. So there were so many of those connections there that I needed help with that I was searching for, but I just could not find. Um, especially be especially within my own black community. Unfortunately, there wasn't a male role model that I could really turn to without that being something that I would have to turn a blind eye to if I wanted to seek that help. And that doesn't really work for me, you know. And then going through the system, talking to these counselors, talking to these therapists, and stuff like that, because they're white. And it's no fault of their own, but because they are white, there's certain elements of what I've been through that they just won't get and stuff. So realizing that, you know, realizing that there isn't anyone within the black community that's really 
a poster child for mental health within the black community. There are organisations, but they're not big and well-known organisations. They're not even really, you don't even really have any kind of funding. It's all volunteers and sort of community sort of fundraising and stuff like that. So because I couldn't find it, I sort of decided, right, well, I have to be that myself. But I have to, I do understand that I'm still coming from a certain experience, my experience and stuff. So, I don't know everything, but at least I can come from a place of sincerity with it. Going through what I've gone through, I've been able to see things from the other side and stuff. I can understand, you know, someone who's been through a rape or a car crash or, you know, not exactly, but I can understand what can come from it in terms of going through traumatic situations like that. Like I said before, in terms of, you know, gang members seeing you know, friends, family members killed, shot, stabbed, do you know what I mean? Even just beaten up in a really horrific way. So for me, you've got to be the change that you want to see. So I wish there was someone there for me. At least hopefully I can be that someone for somebody else. Uh, what would you say to somebody mm-hmm. who was possibly considering uh, suicide as a way out? Etc. And I ask this because, you know, we have lost a lot of artists uh, to suicide. You know, Keith Flint from The Prodigy and yeah. you know, Chris Cornell died in a high profile example. I mean, all these, all these artists and then all these people, of course, that never get any kind of press coverage, just thousands of yeah. people who die by suicide. What would you say to somebody who was contemplating suicide? What would you say to somebody who felt like they were in an abyss from which they couldn't get out? I know it's a lot, right? This is like, it's very, yeah. it's, over, it's, an, it's an oversimplification. But if you had no. to tell, if you had, if you had 30 seconds with somebody that you knew mm-hmm. was like that and you only had 30 seconds to say something to them, what would you say? It may, it may seem like this is it, but it really isn't. It really isn't. Come with me. I will present some options to you of people that you can talk to, people that may understand what you're going through or even just talk to me. And we'll have a conversation about what is going through. But what you see is the end. It is not. There is so much more to your life than what you are going through right now. And it took me a long, long time for me to realize that and get over how I feel about myself, how angry and resentful I am at this world. But there is more to this. This is not the end. Come with me and let's have a conversation. All right. Well. So before I let you go, let's uh, let's turn take it to a, a, a brighter note. You are back yeah. in music. Yes, you are yes. kind of making those strides to bring yourself as a person back into the world. Is there anything that you have cooking right now that you want to tell the people about? Uh, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I'm, it's something that I'm quite proud of. Um, at the moment, it's very soon, I think next month, in a couple of weeks, um, a new label is going to be launched called Stand Up Speak Out. Um, I think by the time this actually comes out, we'll be doing promo for the first single um, that's coming out. And that's that's me and my good friend, Mad Rush, uh, Mad Rush MC, Owen. Um, who set this up with his friend Mike Burgess, who's dealing with the marketing and more the behind the scenes side of things. Um, like there's three uh, tracks that are produced by myself, um, one that is myself as well. I think that's going to be the second single, but they may we're mainly focusing on Mad Rush at the moment because it's him that's been going through 
the Jamaica 50 Windrush um, situation that's been going on in the UK in terms of immigration. Right, right. Um, and the Car- uh, Caribbean immigrants that we have here that are citizens, but for some reason they're just being picked off and stuff. But that should be starting up soon. I have my first vocal liquid EP coming out next year on Liquid Lab, which is a new sister label to Colab Recordings run by Heist, the one and only Heist and Jim, uh, Benny Colab. Um, so that should be coming soon. I've got some amazing vocalists and rappers on that, on that project. Um, and then a couple of other projects that are coming out. They're in the works, but they have got label placements and stuff. It's just finishing them off. Um, and I'm also working on bringing my MCing and my DJing together into one sort of package. Um, as well, as well as just working on an album, as well as just creating more music, really. <laughs> and that is just yeah, yeah. the main thing, the main thing for the last couple of years since coming back is just creating, getting, getting back into creating. So there's going to be hip hop coming soon. There's going to be grime as well as a lot of drum and bass and a new vocal in other projects as well as my own or my own productions coming out more visuals as well. Cause I'm really, really getting into like, Presenting, presenting things in more of a visual sense rather than just an audio sense and yeah just more advocating for mental health um, I'm going to be starting a podcast soon called The Viewpoint um, where I'm going to be talking to hopefully yourself soon but <laughs> a lot of guests about music about drum and bass but obviously some guests will be coming through talking about mental health yeah man things are looking up yeah we need we need, we need more uh we need more podcasts that focus on talk in the music yes. industry as opposed to just music i feel like there's a million mix shows out there and no disrespect to those they're, they're fantastic and thank god for them but mm-hmm. i definitely think that we need more uh talk based forums i mean that's that's why i started up this this show i mean i started up as a podcast yeah. I, I moved it to cool F, to cool london uh, you know because mm-hmm. i wanted people to hear the stories that mc's bring with them not just the stories that they tell um yeah. so yeah. you know i'm 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 really happy that you were uh able to be on the show uh and and tell your story because it, it's something that i think a lot of people need to hear um i'm also happy that you're here too because you know you and i have a few have a few collaborations in the works that are coming out probably in the the uh the winter that people will finally hear after some delays mm-hmm. so yes, that, i'm, I'm yes, excited about that um, but I'm really, uh, really excited to see when people are able to come out of spaces that weren't so great and mm-hmm. make themselves better in the process. And it's been really great seeing you, uh, rise above where you were before. Well, thank you. Thank you, man. It's been, it's been a long road and that's what I will always say to people. Like it's not going to happen overnight. It is going to take some time. It is going to take a bit of work, but. You just gotta find the way of having faith in yourself and, you know, the situation that you've, you've been through that have caused, that are causing you anger, causing you resentment, causing you despair. Try and find a way of using that as fuel to get yourself out of that hole. And if I can help, if what I say can help that in any kind of way, then, you know, I'm glad I can be of service in some way. You know, but thank you. Thank no, you so my, much for having hey, me. Man, the honor is all mine, my friend. And, uh, yeah, we will definitely talk soon. But for now, uh, I'm going to let you go because I know it's late over there. But uh, thank you again. And uh, we'll definitely do another check-in at some point with you. Um, 
maybe uh, during like later in the spring, get a check in, see where you're at musically and uh, what kind of projects you've got going then. Most definitely. Plus, I'm going to have to get you on the viewpoint as well. Hey, I'm going to have to get you, you on. You know I'm down. You know I'm down. the favor. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll talk soon, all right? You too. Take right. care. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> you know who it is. Hold tight on my Manchester family. Hold tight on my drum and bass ravers. Yeah. Hmm. Never watching the throne. Ever present to raise the levels. I'm holding my own. I see the pot calling the kettle to throw in my bone. Never that call me the rebel that's holding the zone. Yeah, so fly with the words The Smith, lyrical western Yeah, I'm deadly with verbs The chill, I'm never stressing with plenty of herbs The wolf, ready to pounce on unsuspecting herds Slaughter, still mimic the mech No patience for all the talking Yeah, I'm coming for next No statements, no evidence And no clues to detect Without a trace, I keep them laced And I'm ready to jet uh. Always bringing the vibe You best believe it's always music that keeps me alive Locked and loaded every weekend and ready to ride I take it all in my stride, why? Got everything less, everything nice Honey JD, two Cuba ice Stepping on the dance, rave on them height Baseline sweet, so may I be say it twice We said everything less, everything nice Honey JD, two Cuba ice Stepping on the dance, rave on them height Baseline sweet, so you know I say it twice Can you have bad up nothing? I see your man a move sketchy like some mad up mutton <laughs> Moving for me, you have to dep on something But you not dep on nothing, you only out here fronting Can you have bad up nothing? I see your man a move sketchy like some mad up mutton <laughs> Moving for me, you have to dep on something But you not dep on nothing, you only out here fronting Yeah. And I don't deal with no bad mind business neither. Yeah. You'll never see me with my back against the wall and my hands tied. Bringing something tropical, creating a landslide. Spitting something biblical, you're feeling so bad times. But still, I keep it topical, provoking your damn mind. I'm cheeky with it, the coolest ape in the playground. When I take all your pocket money, you save now. Yeah, I battle barbarians and they stay down. Bare knuckles, see your jaw side, what you say now. I'm fully with it. Best believe I'm coming right to your neck. Because it's all about respect, so I don't fight for a check. I never read the manual, now I'm rewriting the tech. I had to call before a walk, now I'm reviving the step. Do one check. Mike is where my cipher connects, where my mind is at rest, and where my ego can flex a bit. Still, I'm quick to switch and light up a set. Falling to my last breath, the day you put me to rest. Until then, stand your ground or take a seat. I'm upward bound, I can take the heat. I'm so confident, it's all in the flow. I'll align the stars, trying to soothe my soul. So stand your ground or take a seat. I'm upward bound, I can take the heat. I'm so confident, it's all in the flow. I'll align the stars, why? Got everything less, everything nice. Honey JD, two Cuba eyes. 
stepping on the dance Break on them heights, baseline sweet Some may have to say it twice We say everything blessed, everything nice Honey JD, two Cuba ice Stepping on the dance, break on them heights Baseline sweet, so you know I say it twice Yeah, you don't know